City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars Working in the Theatre This seminar, Performance pleasure that I welcome you again to the American Theatre Wing Seminars on Working in the Theatre. These are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York, which is located on 42nd Street, just steps away from Times Square. This is where Broadway, Off-Broadway, and Off-Off-Broadway all come together to share the wealth of New York Theatre. And from across the country and all over the world, people come to New York City for its theatre. The American Theatre Wing has long served the community of New York City with its really wonderful, splendid programs that go on year-round. We service the community through the theatre. And although we are known for the Tony Awards, which is a most coveted and wonderful award, it is given only for distinguished achievement in the craft of theatre. It is not given for the longest run or the biggest box office smash. And so it is an award that has a great deal of meaning behind it. And the American Theatre Wing, through its year-round programs, serves that award as well. We bring students from the high schools into Broadway for them to see their very first Broadway show. And we do this in the cooperation of the New York City Board of Education and the wonderful generosity of the producers who provide us with tickets and we in turn make them available to the students who must pay for going to the theater. We believe that's very important, that commitment to the theater. It's a minimal amount that they pay, but they do pay and they come. And then we have another program that comes along with our seminars that sort of follows in working the theater. It's an in-school theater program and we bring people in from the performing arts, from the performer, the playwright, the director, the costume designer, to come and talk to the students of what it is to work in the theater. It not only enriches their minds and their vocabulary, but it also gives them a role model that someday they too might work in the theater, not necessarily as an actor, but all the other parts of the craft of the whole of theater. And these seminars, which are offered twice a year, is one more example of our community service. We bring together the most knowledgeable and the most distinguished group of people in order to discuss what it is to work in the theater. Many of these people have come out for us and come to the hospitals, nursing homes, and aid centers, where we again present theater as part of a community service. I'm going to turn our panels over now to Brendan Gill, who is a member of the Board of Directors of the American Theatre Wing, critic, author, and distinguished man of the theatre. 
and George White, who is president of the O'Neill Center in Waterford, Connecticut. And George is a director and a teacher and a great friend of both the wing and the theater. And they, in turn, will introduce this distinguished panel to you. I think there is much to be learned and enjoyed, and I hope that you do both. Thank you for being here. On my far right is Robert Sean Leonard, who is currently playing Valentine Coverley, a double dactyl, in Tom Stopper's Arcadia at the Lincoln Center. And then next to uh, Robert is John Glover, who is playing two roles for the price of one in uh, John J and James Jekyll in Love, Valor, Compassion of Terence McNally. And immediately to my right is Helen Mirren playing the role of Natalia Petrovna in Turgenev's marvelous play, uh, A Month in the Country. A very great performance in a very great play. George. Um, downstage left is uh, Gloria Forster, currently performing the role of Sadie in, uh, on Broadway in Having Our Say. And on her right is uh, Alan Campbell, who is now uh, in the role of Joe Gillis in Sunset Boulevard. Uh, and uh, directly on his right is Matthew Broderick, who is currently appearing as J. Pierpont Finch in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. And on my immediately le uh, left is... Uh, Mary Alice, who, uh, like Gloria, does not look uh, a day over her age. They're both playing over 100, but she would never know that. To look at her, uh, uh, Mary Alice is playing Bessie in Having Our Say as well. Over the very, <laughs> the very first question I would like to ask is, why is it that Turgenev's marvelous play isn't played more often? Is it because it's so extremely difficult? You have an immense role. It's pretty long. You have to cut about an hour out of it. It's a basically a four-hour play, and he was obviously a novelist, and I think that he was the first, really the first psychological writer, uh, playwright, in, uh, in my understanding, anyway. Um, and he, he tended to write all the psychology, psychology that goes on inside a person's brain, as he would in a novel, but in the dialogue. So you basically have to do, do some very um, clever cutting. Um, and then it brings it down to uh, the right length. And, and then I think uh, uh, the, the humor of the play, as with all those sort of Russian plays, is sometimes quite hard to find, you, you tend to think that they're heavy plays. In fact, the humor is right buried in the very um, emotional content of the play. Rather than jokes and gags and funny things going on, it's in, it's in the very pain of the people's experience that the, that the humor is embedded. So you literally laugh and cry at one and the same moment. And that is quite a difficult thing to achieve. Actually, I, I think was achieved in Love, Valor, and Compassion as well has a similar sense that uh, although there are more sort of funny one-liners, but, but it's a very painful play, yeah. but a very, very funny play at the same time. And of course, having to play as you do too, unlike uh, people, and dash in and out unlike each time, how do you keep that straight in your head? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of dashing, yeah. <laughs> uh, straight in my head, I don't, well. The unlikeness, I mean, is something that's... Uh, well, they're so unlike. I, th I think that's how, and, uh, and there's no problem. And, and, and then they wear such different clothes. 
<laughs> that does. I mean, that no, is, no, that but is very it's, helpful. It's as funny as it sounds, it is, I'm serious about that. There's a yeah. great moment when you actually talk to yourself, as opposed to talking to oneself on stage, which we do often. Mm. You literally talk directly to yourself. You are sitting in the chair, and that's yes. an amazing um, theatrical moment. I think when you you create, I completely believe that you, John, were you know that you were sitting. In that chair, you did. Oh, oh good. totally. <laughs> I, well, I have no it's idea. People talk thing. about that moment or whatever, mm. but but I, it's it's you terrifying sometimes. And in the beginning, first, yeah. it's very terrifying to stand but up. Is Matthew this also talks. Yeah. You have to talk to yourself, uh, yes. uh, <laughs> letting us know a great deal about you as you go, right? And sing to yourself. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know how to do it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but that is also, uh, because we talked uh, earlier, uh, Matthew and I, about, about uh, you know, because your training primarily was, is, is in, in, uh, not in the musical theater. Right. And you've had to come along, both in movement, which I was amazed at how easily you were able to, at least seemingly, yeah. get there, and also singing. How did you develop that? Because you came to fairly late, didn't you, preparing for this yeah, role? Yeah, I did. I, I was... Um, I, I only I studied acting, but very little singing and dancing when I was, you know, eighteen or whatever. And then when I was going to do this role, I did have about two years there when I took a lot of singing lessons. So I worked very hard on that. But um, the dancing I just had to learn as we did, and we've been running six or seven months, and it's still getting more comfortable. It took that long. If you're not uh, used to it, to learn steps is a took me forever, forever, forever. But the, um, the choreographer and the dance captain were very, very patient. And uh, Well, I must say, you look, you, you look like, in a sense, to the man of born there. And you, you've got to also compete with people who have been doing it all their lives. I mean, with yeah. other dancers. Well, what I, what I think I can... <laughs> what I think I can bring to it uh -oh. is... Uh, <laughs> okay, everybody quiet now. <laughs> I'm going to talk now for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, is the, uh, you know, like with, with the dancing, in this kind of role, the dancing and the singing, they really are part of the scenes, is what I hope. So the scene, so the dancing isn't just, with me it's never, you know, look at my extension or my line, as I've learned. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, look at what the character is doing now. And the same with the song. So you, you get out of just thinking, how do I sound? How does my body look? But... What's the character doing now? It grows organically. Yeah, so it comes just li like the rest of the scenes. George, George speaks of you coming late to something. It's a heartbreaking story. This very elderly figure we have before yes, us, I, yes, uh, coming so late to, to, to song <laughs> and dance. Yeah. Yeah. We sympathize. We yeah. sympathize. Yeah. I take a lot of Advil. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, what about you in terms of uh, what is your training? Were you always in the uh, musical theater to begin with? I, I was never in musical theater. I actually started as a as a singer. Um, I was actually in lounges. Uh, um, uh, as, as, a, as a, a very young man, 13, 14 years old. No, actually in the, in the South. I was raised in South Florida. And uh, I uh, approached acting totally from a musical standpoint and became an actor more or less by default uh, when someone offered me a, a, an opportunity. I'd never taken an acting lesson in my life. And, and I, I, at the time, I was doing some 18 shows a week in Las Vegas at about 22 years old out of college. And and thought that this acting thing where there were people to, to you know, hand you sandwiches and, 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 and uh, press your clothes for you was actually quite sophisticated <laughs> uh, instead of doing 18 shows a week in a Las Vegas lounge. So 
I, I took to that and, and, and then kind of gravitated toward it. And musical theater kind of came out of the combination of acting and the dance that I had studied as a, as a, as a, uh, um, a child and a young man. And it kind of all combined itself together. And I figured that, uh, you know, I, I love to act and I love to dance and I love to sing. And, and, and it just hit me one day that, that all of that kind of comes together here on a Broadway musical stage and on a musical stage. And so I just kind of wanted to do it for that reason. But I had done each individually at different times. So I was, I, I didn't have a career or a, or a straight line at all. I was a series of 180s. What did you time. think in college you were going to be? I was pre-med for a couple of years, <laughs> <laughs> and then that I realized that the left side of my brain was, was not yeah. really the, the, yeah. the part that I should be using, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and um, decided uh, uh, and, and ended up getting a business degree. So there you go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, but I always wanted to end up doing this, but I, I just, like a lot of other people, I think I just... I took a couple of acting classes in college, and since I had been doing it professionally since I was a child as a singer, I, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. For some reason, I felt somewhat out of it in an acting class, so it was somewhat later on in my life that I really got serious. Gloria, was acting an accident with you, or do you, was that a goal from the beginning? No, but it, it did come second. Uh, teaching had, um, was a primary interest. I think because it was expected of me. And once I got to school and started participating in both public speaking and in forensics, I realized that I wanted more contact with a public. I wanted to influence in a different way. And then, then I began my training mm -hmm. um, in the acting field. But you have an exceptionally rich timbre in your voice. Did you do singing at all? No, along I've the way? never sang. Mm -hmm. um, but I have taken speech lessons all my life. As a child, I spoke in a monotone. I only had one level. And at two and three years old, and you're a wolf about nothing, you know. <laughs> and I had very, I think, very intelligent grandparents who knew that as a young lady I was going to have difficulty with this very, very deep voice. I sang with the boys in the baritone in the church choir and in the glee clubs and all of that kind of thing. And so they started me with what they called elocution lessons. And I started perhaps maybe seventh, eighth grade and continued throughout my life. I've always taken voice uh, lessons um, for different reasons. But once th they found that I had other octaves, <laughs> um, then I was able to put it into practice in a different way. And that came during university um, debating and oratory and, and into fall? drama. When did teaching fall by the wayside? Uh, in college, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, when I discovered public speaking yeah. and um, did choral reading um, with, I guess it would have been the drama department, but yeah. for programs for different seasons. Never acting in terms of theater. I was always a part of the, the university program. Mm -hmm. Theater came later when I discovered the Goodman Theater. Yeah and uh, then began a very concentrated approach to training. Mm. Now, speaking of approach, I, Mary Alice, I wanted to ask you, we were talking earlier, too, about um, with uh, having our say, 
it's a very tough play. It's a wonderful play. And first of all, there's no direct chronology. It, you, you two, well, you and Gloria are on all the time. There's mm. no time to rest. Uh, it, even mm. if there were five or six characters where you could maybe zone out for a second, mm. you have to focus on each other. You have to know. And in terms of dealing, it must be exhausting to just uh, to deal with how, how you, because it does not go chronologically. It goes back and forth <laughs> in time. You've got three acts to sustain. I cannot tell you. I cannot tell you the kind of energy I know I personally lose at, at every performance. Uh, Gloria and I, when we were uh, rehearsing in Princeton, we would walk home from the theater <laughs> debating how we were going to do this, how we were going to get this thing together, along with her uh, little dog, Huckleby. And, um, but basically what we had to do was to, uh, with, with Emily Mann, the adapter and the uh, director, was to find the structure for the piece. Um, uh, the activities in relationship to the dialogue was uh, very difficult, very difficult. I, I, I think the thing that uh, requires so much mental and emotional and to some degree uh, physical energy is the fact that uh, Gloria and I are in essence, covering 100 years of experience. I mean, it's exhausting. Uh, I mean, when you think about it, to do it in uh, roughly about two hours. But but we do it, don't we? Mm -hmm. You have to. <laughs> <laughs> I told my friends when I when I was doing the play in Princeton, I said, "Well, I'm I'm walking slow and talking fast." <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the play. Uh, is the most difficult form of make-believe. Instead of people might think offhand in the pretext that you two are inviting the audience as a guest into your house sounds so natural. It's the most difficult make-believe in the world. Who in the audience? There really is a, ought to be a chip on one shoulder. How dare you pretend that I'm coming into your house? So you have to spend a lot of that energy in making convincing something which is intrinsically not convincing at all. And it works. It's wonderful. But that's what the energy is required to make you one with that audience, that you really have taken us up on the stage like that. It's an uncanny thing to have to do. And I wonder whether the author of the play was, was aware of what a desperate challenge this represents. Well, I know that Emily um, had to find her way to directing this piece. I mean, I know that she was totally familiar with the book and the ladies and uh, what other uh, resource material that she had. But it was during the process that she discovered her method of directing it. Mm -hmm. And within that process, there was a lot of elimination to keep this conversation going between the two of us and including our guest. Um, there was a deleting beautiful material. <laughs> oh, we'd cry every time something had to be excised, you know. Uh, activity to support our alertness. One of the things I think I find about this, this um, particular play is how alert you have to be. Mm -hmm. There is not a moment when you can back down, when you can relax. Doesn't happen. 
And yet these characters you're are on over each other's years old, so yeah. you're, you're both yeah. alert and over a hundred years old, so you uh -huh. have to be doing two different things simultaneously. Absolutely, and also, uh, Mary mentioned moving slowly, but movement came out of the demands of the activity. If you have to be over there, you get over there. Ah. You know, not as slowly as you perhaps would like to think an 103-year-old person would, yeah. uh, because of the demands of acting require that you take some theatrical license and we are in movement mm -hmm. and also the fact that um, when uh, Amy Hill Harth uh, interviewed or uh, uh, first met them they were they were still very active mm -hmm. uh, in terms of taking care of themselves um, they were 101 and 103 at the time which is which is the the time that we're dealing with now they're 103 and 105 and and they they had no phone they they, they took complete care of themselves they, they they practiced yoga every day they cooked for themselves they were very independent have you uh, met them by the yes way? we met them three days after uh, we closed at the McCarter on March 1st it gives yes. great encouragement to Matthew to hear all this talk. You know, you're singing and dancing over the next yeah, sixty yeah, or seventy yeah. years. Yeah. 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 How are they, are they as independent now? I guess it doesn't have to do with theater. Right? Well, no, they they now uh, have have a well, have some assistance. They do. Yes, they have some assistance because both of them uh, have been ill. So they, they still oh. have all their marbles, though, I guess. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. We, uh, uh, yeah, they're very losing. Converse. Once you, once you met them, did, did your performances change any no. after no. meeting them? No. 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 You were on the money. We eh? were. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> because we had created this in, yeah. at the McCarter. Yeah. And we had what most actors have to um, refer to. We had tapes. We had information from people who had personally met them. Uh, who had seen them, who had been in their company, we hadn't. Mary and I went up there like this, <laughs> thinking that perhaps, and no, everyone told us, no, you're doing everything right, you know, but we didn't believe it. And so we went up there like this, and we were overwhelmed yeah. by um, yeah. what we found. Yeah. Robert, Robert Sean Leonard, I, um, we were talking also about dialogue and the, and. and Sustaining, and of course, in Arcadia, I mean that is uh, incredibly. Uh, do, do you find it difficult to sustain to keep that ball in the air with those kind of the the verbalness of that of uh, that piece, uh, and also finding where you are and tracking that through because uh, and connecting it, of course. Um, well, I think uh, what's interesting about Arcadia is we all all the characters have their own <laughs> trials <laughs> by the time the evening's over. Yes. Um, mine, I guess you could <laughs> define as trying to explain chaos mathematics and thermodynamics. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> but, That's where I was going. <coughs> tracking people, uh, <coughs> civilians through that and yeah. making it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't find it um, that much of, of, a, of a problem. It's beautifully written, and I, I find that... Um, Stoppard has a great way of, of saying, when he's explaining something, of, of saying, okay, now look at, look at this. Now, or, or he says things like, the way he introduces thermodynamics is, is um, you know your tea is getting cold. And she says, well, I like it that way. And he says, no, I'm telling you something. Mm. Your tea gets cold by itself. It doesn't get hot by itself. Do you think that's odd? And she says, no. And he says, well, it is odd. Mm. And, and you can just feel 1,200 people go, 
um, really, it's, it's miraculous. And it's one of the, ironically, one of the turning points for me as an actor. I, I just wanted everyone to adore me. That was, the, I think, the main reason I got on stage, and, and uh, that didn't work. So uh, <laughs> then I, was, I saw a production of The Real Thing somewhere in Rochester or something, and, and there's, in The Real Thing, there's a, he has, there's a whole scene where he's explaining what he does, the sort of autobiographical character, explaining what writing is and why he writes, and it's full of those things. Like, look at this cricket bat. It looks like a piece of wood, but actually it's seven pieces of wood carefully chosen and shaped and glued together to form a springboard. That's what writing is. Um, so actually, when I read this play, I was, I was um, dying to be a part of it because that he really changed my life in a lot of ways, this writer. And uh, when I saw his work, I, I found my own definition for why I wanted to do this and why I wanted to spend my life doing it. Go a little farther with that. What, what do you mean, I mean, by that? I mean, that. I just loved the people. I loved the crew and I loved getting on stage and I loved the smell and I loved the experience of acting. But until I saw, a f until a few experiences happened to me, one of them being seeing the real thing, I didn't really have a reason beyond that for doing it. But he, if you read that play or if you've seen it or if you're familiar with it, you know he has, there's a, quite a few moments where this writer is explaining what theater is to him, that what it is to have people walk into a room and have the lights go out and hopefully their inhibitions go out with them and, and they sit and become, hopefully, more open vessels than they would be on the street, and that you weave into this, this mesmerizing, hopefully mesmerizing story that you've created. You weave your view and you weave the way you see things and hopefully those things invade them a little bit by the time the evening's over. And um, he explains to his wife, you can't change. If something's physical, you can move it. But all of the important things are intangible, and you can't move them. You can't beat them, and you can't yell to change them. The only way to change them, love and, and politics and, and religion and faith, and is to change the way the person next to you views them. And this writer is saying that's the way, that's the best way he's found Was he to do that. Was he writing with you all during rehearsals? In no. Give you this? <clears throat> no, I mean, I, uh, this I just got from seeing the real things, so. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah. But now you're in the real thing of our hate. The real thing of the How real, How much yeah. did he give you? Oh, well, uh, quite a bit. I mean, he was there for the first week and then he left, which is probably good because we were all so terrified around him. And, would constantly drop things and fall down and <laughs> mispronounce, you know, words. And then he came back and, and uh, answered questions. I had a lot of questions for him because of the math, uh, but um, a lot we covered most of it in the first week. So he he's very like Shaw in in the quality of his intellect, the very high quality of his intellect, and the fact that he can apply it to any area of human knowledge that Shaw was able to do when he wanted, whenever he wanted to. Uh, but the accusation was always made of, of Shaw and in his plays as well as in his life that he was heartless. And yeah. Stoppard is self-conscious about that. And this play is supposed to be a, a play in which uh, it, that is less heartless than his other plays. That's, I just think that's so... How do you feel about that? I think that makes me want to just jump off a building because it's, it seems so... <laughs> I hear that from people and it's so uh, narrow-minded, so short-sighted. It, it seems there's actually... 
a line that, in the play that has been cut and then put back, and then cut, and it basically comes down to someone explaining the geometry of a certain way of designing gardens, of cut hedges, and how wonderful it was when everything was just symmetrical and cut and and um, perfect, and then gardens changed and became, as they say, false nature, the grass from the door to the horizon, and um, that she prefers the days when the hedges were clipped, and so this man says, really, do you prefer those clipped hedges? I, I sort of prefer the rolling hills. And she says, I don't like sentimentality. Mm-hmm. And he says, really? I, yes, I see. Are you sure you seem quite sentimental over geometry? Uh, but anyway, um, the rolling hills is, is good. It is good. And that line's been put back and cut and put back. And it's always struck me as interesting because that, I think, is an interesting point. Is mm-hmm. You actually seem quite sentimental over being not sentimental. Um, you seem, when this character starts describing chaos mathematics, to me, it's as moving and as emotional and as romantic as, um, as an aria. It's, to him, that's what, that's what thrills him when he wakes up, is, are these numbers. Well, I think that's, mm-hmm. that's of course, uh, and that, what's marvelous that you're able to convey that, because that's very tricky, to track an audience through what is seemingly esoterica. In, in mathematics, for, for a lot of people, for mo- everybody, basically, but make that resonate uh, in, a, in an emotional way, and it works. Uh, it's great. But while we're talking about romance and sentimentality and heart, let's talk about heart. How about month in the country? And the, uh, and the Russian soul. It's definitely you know. the rolling countryside, yes. not the clipped hedges. <laughs> yes. No um, question about that. But, uh, but also uh, exposing the heart yeah. continuously yes. uh, is. is, is it would be very opposite from the kind of thing that both Shaw and then another Irishman, Beckett, was evidently terrified of exposing his heart in this vulgar way that you don't like to have us talk. But nevertheless, don't jump off that little <laughs> tiny platform. It will do you no good. It will do you good. Uh, but Beckett can certainly concealed his heart. In that sense. Whereas Turgenev and, and, and uh, uh, that whole generation of playwrights that grew out of Tegana, if we were saying before, that he's, he's the mother of all the plays that have been written since, practically, you'll find so much of uh, was intent in A Month in the Country and letting everybody expose his heart in a really quite, in a terrifying way. And, and what you have to do all the way through is changing back and forth, back and forth. And, and it is a kind of dialogue with one's own mind that goes on. That it was long before O'Neill or anybody else was experimenting with that. It was really working that way. And, and, uh, but it's always on the... Uh, it avoids sentimentality. Sentimentality isn't as dangerous a trap as I think many people think it is. Well, I think people do get co- uh, confuse emotion with sentimentality. And, of course, they're two completely different things. Really... In the world of sentimentality, there is no true emotion uh, at all. Um, And I I think that people very often completely confuse the two. They imagine sentimentality is emotion. Of course, it isn't. But I think theatre, you know, all these different... There's many, many, many different plays that we can all sit and watch or be in, uh, but they all have this one common theme, which is... Oh, God, I'm going to sound so pretentious now, but, but uh, theatre does something that no other art form can, in the, you know, in the, no other drama form can do, that, it, 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 that you witness an event, you witness a, um, 
God, I'm going to be so inarticulate. I'm really sorry. But it was interesting. You know, I have a great resistance to Tom Stoppard. I basically hate Tom Stoppard. <laughs> you know, I, maybe it's because I'm English. Yeah, it's that sort of thing. <laughs> you know, because he is so, so sort of, you know, it is, and as you say, he describes, and that is what he's, to me, constantly doing. He's constantly describing something. You know, the cricket bat is not this, it's that, and the hedges are not this, they're that, you know. It's a constant sta state of sort of critical analysis, of analytical description of, rather than, the, what Tegenev does is the exact opposite. He doesn't describe anything. He just jumps right in there and just, like, you know, throws it all up in the air. But they're the s they both do the same thing ultimately, which is allow an audience and, and, uh, and the actors on the stage, same as Arthur Miller, Beckett, whoever, whoever, the great playwrights. There is a, 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 something that happens in the theatre where the, the audience and the actors on the stage cooperate in a moment in time that is absolutely memorable. That's the amazing thing to me about theatre. And I've been to see an awful lot of plays, and I remember every single one. Mm. I've seen many movies, and I've seen zillions of things on television. And I can sit through a whole movie, a very, very good movie, and only remember halfway through that I've seen it before. I get a detective story which you can read over and over, you forget a detective oh, yes, story. Oh, yes, you forget it. a great novel, you never yes, forget Yes, but theatre, even if it's really bad, that's the amazing thing to me. Even if it's really bad and you're sitting there, I hate this, it's boring, it's stupid, it's, it's badly acted. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, especially if it's really good. But even if it's really bad, you, uh, I remember every single play I've ever been to, um, and I don't know if other people have the same experience, but there... So I'm always sort of wary of comparing one play with another. And, I mean, I do, of course I do, but there is something that happens in that moment of theatre that is, for some reason, absolutely memorable. In Arcadia, anyway. of course, he's dealing with three uh, subjects. One is the landscape <coughs> garden aspect of it, the architecture aspect of it, is the third of the, of the, of the various plots that are running continuously through it. Was that, uh, as an amateur of architecture, I'm disappointed to hear that that was part of what was being cut. <laughs> was landscape uh, architecture cut more than any other part? No, no, it? we cut uh, quite a few things. Uh, math got its share. <laughs> you know, they're talking about sentimentality and, and emotion, too, which is very interesting, Helen, that you brought and clarified that, which, of course, it is very, very uh, And uh, in, in Love, Valor, and Compassion, John, you have... I have a line. Americans confuse sentimentality oh, with do? love. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was waiting. Love, Thank you. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yes. That was the feed, indeed. Yeah. indeed. And, and, of course, there was a play that really gets to the essence of a lot of what, what we're talking about, too, of the difference uh, between... Uh, yep, right in the solar plexus, I, I think, from what people say who, yeah. who, who, who witnessed the event. Um, and, of course, I think, from my point of view, you are really focal to all of that. Your character is really the focal... I mean, you're two characters, sorry. Those two brothers. Are, <laughs> it, it, your it's, it's so interesting to hear the result of, of what it is that happens up on the stage. Uh, because when that journey starts, I was saying to somebody before we went on, I just try to think, we're going to go on stage and sing Beautiful Dreamer, and then what happens, happens. So if, if you think, I think any of us, if we say we think of the journey that we're about to go through, we wouldn't be able to get out there and do it. We just have to start at the beginning. So... So I don't know what I am in the play. I just go, go through it and do what I have to do. But 
did the playwright contribute as much to it to Terence as uh, Stopper did, for example, to uh, Robert? Well, well, uh, I, that play had your play had been done before mm -hmm. our play had never been done. Terence was there creating the, the play around us, basically, uh, when we were our four weeks in the rehearsal hall. So he would sit for several days in the rehearsal hall, go away for a few days, and come back with new things. Um, Is that typical for a, a performance? Is that typical for a playwright with an actor? Are you able to absorb that? And, and is that part of what you've been doing before? Let's say before love. Um, I think Terence has done it more than I've ever experienced in mm -hmm. a new play. I, I've also done a lot of classic plays, so plays that are already set. Set. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Terence and Joe Mantello, the director, together uh, created a, a very relaxed, uh, open atmosphere that we had to work in. And then when Terence would bring in new things, it became very easy for us to, uh, to put them in. And, and then we had to take a lot out, too. Our play, when we started rehearsing, was about four hours. Mm -hmm. So we had to lose at least an hour, which got to be very painful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I lost a great scene about five days into previews that I took very personally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was with handcuffs and everything. Great, great, great stuff, yeah, yeah. I hated to see that go. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to uh, go back, uh, actually, on the musical side for a moment. Um, the difference, in a sense, uh, Alan and, and, and Matthew, that Matthew, you um, are launching into a revival, and... I wanted to know, uh, as opposed to Alan, where you are creating a role of Joe Gillis, um, how much did you try to forget uh, the original, you know, which was the Bobby Morse? The one. Huh? <laughs> the gap-toothed one. Yes, right. Okay. <laughs> yes, whoever he may yeah. be. Right. Yes. Um, uh, GTO. Yes. You, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I know Robert Morse, uh, and I, I worked with his daughter, so... I also grew up, I saw the movie when I was a kid, I had the record, so it was pretty much impossible to try to forget. Um, I did try, I didn't look at the movie again and I didn't listen to the uh, record once we started. Um, and I did try to make everything up as much as I could, but I have to admit once I was, the first, when we were running in La Jolla, our first, you know, like after two weeks, I remember I drove to the uh, blockbuster video, you know, with a big hat and dark glasses on. <laughs> and how to succeed in business without really trying. You know, right? And I rented it and I watched it, um, which was very helpful because when they did it, you know, the the like you're saying, the writer was there, the director, they they built the thing together, you know, particularly a musical where they keep cutting stuff out of town, and so I was able. It it was very useful because it was like having a kind of living uh, blueprint of what was meant. You know, some scenes that were, you have to decode when you read. You're not sure what it means or why that's funny or what, what they really meant. But if you can just see it as they did it, you can still try not to copy the way they're doing it, but at least you get a, a nice view of what 
what the idea of it was. I don't know how to, exp you know, sometimes it's as simple as he drops the thing, bends down, and springs up into the scene at that, at that moment. Mm -hmm. And I might have thought, why am I just standing here yeah. with nothing, you know, and, and it's, it's just simple things like that. So it's very helpful to have that, that record of it. Well, you, you bring a very different quality to, than, uh, uh, than uh, Morse did, I must say. It's a very different uh -huh. quality to it. The lines are the same, which is interesting to see how yeah. you can take it a whole different, and I find, found it, and I saw both of them, uh, in a funny way, much more engaging, much more sympathetic, uh, much more likable. Uh, and also, uh, I think probably by seeing the, the film, you brought, I mean, it gives you a, a sense of that uh, late 50s, early 60s sense. Yeah, which was great. Thing which is not, doesn't exist anymore in the yeah. 90s, but there's a mm -hmm. whole kind of... Well, yeah. Also, I think I had to accept that it was there and... It didn't work to try to put blinders on. I had to really just watch it and say, well, that's, that's how it was, you know? I mean, I, I grew up watching a lot of, um, I remember Gilbert and Sullivan, you know, and those companies would just continue. Somebody would come and take over the role. So he had spent a lot of time watching, or she, whoever played the part before them. So it's not a new problem to, to take a role from someone else. I've never done it before. But just through doing it for a long time, it became more and more my own. I never consciously thought I have to do something different and Bobby did it this way, I'm going to bring this. I never had a thought like that. It just naturally became, as I did it more, I would start to get ideas that were my own just through doing it a lot and thinking about it, you know, at home and everything. Thank you. I was going to ask, what, get, what got lost in the Sunset Boulevard that you missed? Didn't That's right. Well, I, I, I was going to say, I had a, a similar thing, even though I created the role. I mean, there was a wonderful movie and an incredible screenplay and an, an enormous star in William Holden. And how so I, did you see the screenplay? I actually, um, a video store that I frequented in Los Angeles <laughs> was announced in the paper that I got the role. They had a, a tape sent over. I didn't know. Um, <laughs> I wasn't exactly sure I should that take that. <laughs> Don't do it. But I watched it, and I think I was... When you, when you watch it, I mean, Billy Wilder wrote such a wonderfully black indictment of Hollywood. And there's so many wonderful stories surrounding Billy Wilder and, and Hollywood that I watched other Billy Wilder to try to get the feel of thing and watch the movie. It was very black. And I realized that there's things that obviously are done in the film that would be impossible to create on the stage. Part of the darkness, which I think, to the credit of John Napier, the set designer, and many of the people involved, they've done as good a transfer into the theater as can possibly be done with some of the aspects of the film. But I realized in watching Bill, Bill Holden that if they wanted Bill Holden, they would not have hired me. Again, I'm more sympathetic. Uh, yes, as a are. person, Absolutely. I am. I just, yeah, I mean, no, I, I do. don't have Bill Holden's um, built-in kind of gut-level cynicism. I just don't have it as a person. And so I think there was a certain amount of confidence. And also when uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, we talked about it, he said, you know, part of the reason that we are casting you is because we would like to make and what I thought the emotional trip a, a, a bit further. Instead of starting at a certain cynical place and ending up dead in a pool, we'd like a little bit more of the Dayton, Ohio guy to begin with, and we'd like the audience maybe to have a little bit of affection for this guy so that we see in two and a half hours the emotional path be a bit further um, uh, for the theater, which means we like him a little bit, but no, he's making some mistakes. Ooh, that was a bad choice. Oh, he's fatally flawed. 
bang. <laughs> so that, so that, so that uh, you know, the audience kind of can, can go with him. Since I'm on stage two hours and 20 minutes out of the two and a half, I mean, he has to, he has to do something. He has to go somewhere because I talk to them and I sing to them. And I break the fourth wall, um, uh, so to speak. Is there a fourth wall? I've never known that. Are, is, are there any is of you? I'm, is there right really? Because I, yeah, I always know they're out there. Is that wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. I always have a sense of that. I've always been frustrated by that. See, well, so do I. But everyone's always with that fourth wall, and I said, well, "Can't you hear them coughing?" <laughs> you know. A lot of take their contact lenses out on stage, <laughs> so they can't see. Uh, they can't see the other actors, and they can't see the the audience. I know a lot of English actors, very famous ones, incidentally who do that because they don't want to either see the other actors or the audience. They just want to be in their own sort of fuzzy world, you know. I took my contacts, I remember opening night, uh, my, I was acting away and uh, saw in the third row my sister just like this. <laughs> and then every time I was at that end of the stage, and she'd seen it before and really liked it, so I was like, oh, at least she likes it. So if she wasn't, you know, smiling or grinning, I was like, I'm not as good as last time. <laughs> and I went off stage and, and took my lenses out and then couldn't see any actors either, which is <laughs> various. Huh? Without seeing, you won't yeah. see. Yeah. No problem. You don't see the faces? Uh, uh, I do. If I saw a face, I'd die. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> it's, it's they above. always look dismal. Yeah. It's above. That's you general. don't see I a think face. That's a general reaction oh, of not right? being able to see anyone. Oh, I like oh, looking I, at them. I, I, what about you? Sometimes. It depends who you catch. I should be angry with them. No, Gloria does. Find a good one. I just look for a good one. I'm able to see, I mean, in terms of the lighting in the first... Depending upon which act or which scene we're in, I usually see very clearly the first four or five rows of faces. It, it doesn't throw you at all. It doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. Don't you find that if you catch somebody's eye that they don't want to? to I, uh, I, I talk, I talk to the audience sometime, and there's one point that John Foster Dulles, when, when I'm outing people, and when I get to John Foster Dulles, I, I need help on that because nobody knows who he is anymore. So if I hear one person laugh, I'll look at them. And I could tell when I do that that they don't, they wish I would just go away and leave them alone. Well, that's a little like, come on, everyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I remember there's a rather famous English actor, and I was there at a performance who uh, was in the middle of a performance toward the very end of, the, of, the, of a very intense play. Uh, saw a lady in the second row open her compact and get ready for the after-play dinner. He stopped was this the show. No. Oh. He stopped the, he stopped the show and, and, and waited. Actually, it was Alec Guinness. And, and he waited and waited, and then finally, and everything stopped, and the woman was just, you know. And, and finally, he said, she looked up. Oh, the poor woman. I wanted, you know. But again, <laughs> and then he said, "Thank well, you," and, and continued. <laughs> so there was, you know. But but Alan, you have you have not only the fourth wall to compete with. You also have an elevator with things going up and oh, down. Does that terrify uh, you or not? Or you have a scenery. Uh, no, I, I think I, I think the credit goes to the professionalism of all the others that aren't on stage and that we have an incredible crew and incredible people that protect us and by the time the show went up we know exactly what's happening and exactly where we're supposed to be and it's our job to keep our concentration so that we are where we're supposed to be 
uh, and uh, and uh, so that you know a forty-five thousand-pound house doesn't come down and make you a <laughs> well, grease spot. Exactly. Fantastic opening scene. Yeah, I hate when it happens. But imagine for the stage designer to have to face the problem of that of that pool of making that. Well, I, I mean, I, I think I think tremendous. I remember I read the original draft of, of the script and it said Joe Gillis jumps into the pool and swims a lap. <laughs> and I thought, you know, so John Napier, genius that he is, has done wonderful things. But I think he probably looked at that and said, wait a minute, guys. <laughs> you know, your actor is wearing microphones, he has to narrate, and you have him coming out of a pool. But he has created a lot of amazing things. Well, and I don't, I don't ever, ever, ever get wet. But I mean, the creation of the car chase, I mean, I, I think oh, that's, yeah. and that's something he's very proud of in the audience. I think it kind of just goes... Uh, that's never, we always expected them to love that, and that's something that kind of misses. But to say to a, a designer, let's do a car chase on, yeah. on stage. But isn't that another dimension to acting that you now have to uh, compete with the scenery? Absolutely. To, uh, we, you know, Glenn and I both thought it first. Well. How do you know? What do you bring to, to this well, in order yeah, to be able too. to work with it? Is, is there anything in your background? Is there anything that says to you? This is the way you're going to have to do this scene now because of all the scenery that's there. Well, I, I think that I think that at first, your first reaction when we first walked on and saw that house, I, I remember Glenn Close and I walked saw it at the same time, and both our reactions were, "You're going to have to put like lights on us, you know, as actors, because <laughs> is there we're getting we're going to we're going to get lost in this." Uh, that was our fear, you know, maybe insecurity of the actor, but. Later on, you realize that it really, I mean, you incorporate it. You incorporate props. And I love working with props and love. And, and it becomes really, it becomes the life of the piece. These, but is there additional sets. time given to you for rehearsal with uh, extensive Absolutely. sets like that? Absolutely. Because mm -hmm. it, it's, it, it's dangerous, A, and B, there are a million steps, and you don't want to constantly be looking at your feet. So mm -hmm. you try to memorize physically where you are on it. And of course, you know, muscle memory for all of us, uh, as e whether you're a dancer or an actor, you, it, it, gets in the, it gets in the muscles eventually, and then you always know where you are. And hopefully, unless there's a catastrophic computer glitch, which there has been on our show before, and things grind to a stop, and then you realize that you are a prisoner of the technology sometimes, which is, you know, uh, uh, I walked across the street to see the Glass Menagerie one time and just sat there enthralled at a one-set play, you know, <laughs> after, after being involved in, in this, in this uh, and that's why I can't wait to, to step, step down the block, because it, it is, you know, you, you, you do sometimes feel at first that, that, that the technology is ruling you, but that, that, that goes. Matthew, do you have a fear of heights? Yes, no, luckily I do. Fortunately, yeah. yeah. And um, no, that thing has always worked. We have had a lot of times when a set doesn't come on. I was going to say, but the computer graphics, too, going well, on. Well, that, that, yeah. I mean, often you look behind you and see, like, the gong show on. <laughs> yeah. so, like, the wrong image comes yeah. up. But, but um, it's, we've had yeah. some fun things where no desk and no chairs, you know, It'll be an office scene, which has been staged a certain way. And it's, it's awful sometimes, but sometimes actually it's kind of enjoyable because the, you, you have two or three actors and you have to basically just block. Yeah, it's sort of fun, you know, it's sort of invigorating. Some of the most real when an actor forgets his lines. Yeah, I mean, if it, what, that's one of the other, you were talking about, the, I mean, it's another nice thing about theater sometimes. Sometimes it's a disaster, but 
it's an exciting thing sometimes to, to watch things really happening fresh and new. It can be fun. Well, also working with scenery, I know uh, that, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Delaney sisters, I mean, you have the, the nice thing, and I think this was uh, uh, probably Emily's uh, man's idea, is to change the venue when you go in and you start cooking everybody a meal. It does, I, I, does that help you also as actors to, to change that venue and get... Oh, you mean to, to leave the sitting room yeah, and go, and go into yeah, the, uh, which I, the dining area and then uh, the, the kitchen where... where suddenly you've got props to deal with too, which may help you just so you... Well, I'm it, dealing, we're dealing with props from the beginning. Oh yeah, but then yeah. of course you've got all that. I got hungrier and hungrier as you oh, were doing yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, George probably would not then we're table, dealing you know? with <laughs> the food. Um, uh, when we get into the kitchen, and I think we spend most of the time, most of the the the, uh, the uh, experience is in the kitchen, yeah. Because most Which of the right. second act, ha at least half of the uh, third act, we're right. in the yeah. kitchen. Yeah. 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 We wanted to tell. I'd like to ask about the uh, month in the country, and that is that the designer gave you a double door that mm -hmm. everybody has to go in and out of, and each of you has to solve a problem of how that door is going to be shut. Some people shut them <laughs> simultaneously with their arms behind them, you know, this kind of thing. It looked to me as if that was going to be a big nuisance for everybody to have to do that instead of a single door. Did anybody worry about how to get in and out of that? No. One big room with the door? No. Because that door opens and closes, that double door, what, 50, See, that's 60 That's the architect times? in you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I worry about, about that. The door. Yeah. In fact, those doors were there for one reason, which is Natalia Petrovna's exit at the end of the play. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, the director had this idea, he just wanted her to exit through double doors at the back of the stage. So that, in a way, that's the only cause. Once they're there, then everybody has to come in and out of them. Right, yeah. But um, it, it is a key, a plainly thing. And then there are yeah, all there's the doors well, left you know, and right that aren't really doors at all. You no, see the you, yeah, you just sort of piss off stage, yes. But, so but, to speak. But, uh, English talk, <laughs> English theatre talk. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> the English theatre talk. Family show. More <laughs> things than anybody, any <laughs> nation has ever had in history, <laughs> except perhaps the French with mayors. It's a different. Being pissed off here is being angry, isn't yeah. it? Yes. Yeah. If you piss off, it's like, oh, piss off out of here, which means you just go away. Right? Um, anyway. It has the same emotion under it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but, but Helen, actually, you know, the, the thing that, that, that you mentioned, which is true in so much, uh, uh, so many Russian works, uh, and is, I would think, tricky approaching this as, a, as a, uh, an actor, uh, when you're saying that you, uh, that it is, and it does, it combines humor and, 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 and very dark stuff all at once. How do you deal with that as, a, as an actor? What... I mean, it's very, very tricky to internally or uh, to to You just have to constantly that. remember, and you always tip it a little bit farther, too far, a little bit too far that every night, and you, uh, and then you know you start finding yourself playing it for the comedy because there's nothing so lovely as getting a laugh, you know. Mm -hmm. And in the end, you'll sell your soul for a laugh, you know, if you possibly can, because yeah. it's a, just a fabulous thing to get a laugh. You um, are all so articulate about acting. And I'm, I'm going to have to stop this right now, and then we'll come back to another portion of, of the seminar. But when we come back, I'm going to, I would like to know where you came from. What, what's your, where did this start in order to be able to know what the playwright and know what the director is doing to change and to move on it? Because I think that's the whole point of being a professional, of, of knowing if a cut comes, of knowing how it's going to affect your role. 
and you have to bring a great deal of, of knowledge to that. And, and I'd like you to share some of that knowledge with us. In the meantime, we're going to stop and uh, just take a break and take a deep breath, stand up, stretch, do whatever you like, but come right back again <laughs> so we can continue this and talk about what it is to work in the theater. American Theatre Wing Seminar Zone working in the theater, which are coming to you from the Graduate Center at the City University of New York. This seminar is on the performance, and we have the most fabulous group of performers to talk to us about the role, their roles in their shows, and just the absolute important role of working in the theater. We have George White and Brendan Gill, who are co-chairing, and we're going to take up where we left off and ask all of you how you came to where you are at this point of time. Would you go on, Brendan, or oh, George? Yes, you're going to ask all, except Every George one and me. <laughs> Every single one. Might even, we might oh, even no, include no, no. you. Uh, just a serious We're going to ask you as well. But I think that the answer uh, to, to the major question of where everybody came from was put so wonderfully by Robert when he said of uh, the beginning of his career, I wanted to be adored. Well, that's the answer, <laughs> not only in this profession, but in every profession. But in any event, uh, when you said that, you then went on so quickly uh, to where your inspiration came from that your actual background uh, eluded question. Uh, where did you come from and what training did you have? Uh, I was born in New Jersey. I didn't really have any training. I, I started with a, there was a, uh, just an, un, uh, how would you call it? a non-equity theater company in my town called New Players. And I started with the crew at first when I was about nine. Uh, <laughs> I just hung around there, and they had this summer stock program. And I used to hang around the summer stock program. And um, I just fell in love with everybody, with mostly the crew, really. Um, I liked the crew a lot. <laughs> I thought the actors were sort of silly. <laughs> I mean, they all did. It was sort of it just you, they He's do, but they are. Yeah, they we are. are aren't we? You know, <laughs> you know, we're about to go on, and people are ma 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 walking around. You're thinking, well, uh, you know. And then there's these guys with like grease on their hands, you know, putting lights up, and you think, well, I think they're the cool people. Yeah. Um, but then I then I started to work on stage and uh, fell in love with with that aspect. I still love all, all of it. Um, did you go to school, regular school? Did you go to college? I went to high school, yeah. I ended up uh, leaving high school and, and getting a state diploma. I actually <coughs> started working at 15. I started coming into the city at 14 and, and then started to get plays uh, off-Broadway at 15 and then actually went into um, Brighton Beach Memoirs post-Matthew Broderick uh, mm -hmm. when I was 16 and uh, decided this was just too crazy, and I, I knew what my passion was and decided to move how into the city. Get, how did you get an equity card in order to go into that? Uh, well, I had an equity card. I had been working for a year. My first job was understudying at the public uh, at 15. So uh, how I got that job... How did job you know was, about getting to the public there? How did you... Somebody coming from... In he had a good sense yeah. of direction. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on, New Jersey, there's only one way to do it. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't know we'd, we'd be asked questions about our stories. I thought we would just tell them. I, I wasn't prepared. No, but you were so young. Now, what did your parents think about it? Were you a delinquent in their view? Uh, no, they, they 
They like they they still adore it. Uh, I th what I do, I think they they they. I don't quite know. I I, I met people. There there was um, you know one of those things. A friend of my dad's had a friend who knew someone who was a secretary at an agency and got me some advice on which papers to buy and which which casting offices to slip your eight by ten under and. Um, so your parents supported you? Yeah, very much so, yeah. Well, the rest rare, and the rest of the family, your brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have a brother who's a policeman and a sister who's an English teacher. Mm -hmm. and, uh, well, but how did you, I mean, I think Isabel's right. Uh, how did you, remember how you found out that the public was casting, for instance? Or? Right, okay, right, that's true. This is an educational seminar. Yeah, that's true. So, <laughs> um, when I was a yes. young actor, I get important. Yeah. Um, I went to the drama bookstore. I got the, is it the Ross Reports? Is that yes. what they're called? Um, and uh, started, I started actually quite literally going door to door and putting 8x10s under agents' doors with resume and a letter saying. At 14, 15 years old. 15. I was just turning 15, I think, late, late okay. 14. Um, and uh, never got any calls. And then I happened to, someone happened to see me in a play in New Jersey who knew someone at an agency, and I went in and met with them, and they said, no, they wouldn't sign me, but if I uh, liked, the, the, I could, um, they would send me out on occasion, freelancing, just send me out on occasion. And that's the step, I think, that most young actors go, well, wait, what, I want to know about that step. That's the one that eludes me. I don't know how that happened. It was just one of those things. A friend of a friend knew someone who got me in the door to meet someone. Um, and I think Networking. most people have this, a similar story, that there's that one step that's kind of vague and beyond definition as to how it occurred. Um, so that was the first step towards your equity card, right? Yeah. I'm, and then, <laughs> come on, come on. Uh, yeah. Then I, I auditioned for a year with got nothing. I auditioned for commercials for three years and never got one. Uh, I auditioned for a year and didn't get anything until finally I was cast... Uh, in a play at the public, understudying a play, an Albert Inurato play called Coming of Age in Soho at the public. And um, I didn't have a card, and Joe Papp was, uh, I, I don't know if I want to say loath to hire me. I, I don't think he was all for it, if I remember correctly. But Albert thought I was good in the audition and forced the issue, and so they hired me, and thus I, I got an equity card. What? No, I never went on. Uh, but but I got an equity card. card, and then mm -hmm. started doing Off Broadway, and then. But Brighton Beach was the first real. Because that's time the question that's asked so frequently: How do you get a, an equity yeah. card? You can't work without yeah, it's a one. Catch twenty-two. And so it is the catch twenty-two. So these steps were important. I think, I think now is a great time for young actors in New York. I, especially with even in film, there's this whole you know Soho and the shooting gallery, and the, there's um. There's actually quite a lot of excitement off off Broadway, and uh, now that and the Neil Simon new play and all of this that's going on, but also a lot of fringe theater groups happening, and um, a lot of people are finding uh, an entrance into acting um, outside the, the the usual outside. Uh, well, I need an equity card to be an actor. When in fact you, you don't. You're an actor if you're on stage and you're working. And I know, and there are a lot of companies in New York that uh, that a lot of very important very people true. go to see. Yeah. So therefore, sure. your work gets seen. Well, now, now Matthew, um, since we're talking of that sort of evolution, um, 
tell me about your, uh, I mean, you come from a theatrical family, so, uh, yeah. and they supported you or thought, oh my God, don't get into this? Well, I think they, they wanted me to do what I, once I was definitely wanted it, they were supportive, but they never tried to uh, push me into it. I had a sort of similar thing. My father worked in a, in a lot of summer stock, and I used to, my, the first thing I liked was hanging around theaters and with crews. And, uh, and I didn't really want to be an actor. I just knew I wanted to be in a theater. Mm -hmm. um, but I did that, that. I had a father who was a successful actor. But actually, I, the only, I remember him getting me interviews at uh, ICM, you know, the agency. And I went around, and that was really useless in a way because it was too high a step. You know, it doesn't really matter if you're somebody's son in a way. They, also, they said things to me like, Go get a job at a theater, even if you're sweeping floors, kids, and come back and see me in a year. <laughs> and a thing like that, like useless stuff, like thank you. And uh, so uh, that's what they'd say, you know. Like, how did he get his job? Did he sweep an agency? <laughs> so, uh, George. Uh, Gloria, yeah. You said you started in in college, or when you were actually doing public speaking. Uh, that's what got me, I think, started in this direction. You know, there was some competition at college. Um, forensic, people who were involved with forensics looked down on actors, you know, uh, because actors uh, only spoke words that someone else wrote. And we had to write our own thing, you know, and we had to debate current issues. So I never really got interested in theater while in college. It was afterwards when I went to the Goodman Theater. And as, a, as, a, as an audience? Or no, a, no. As a, I was exploring how do I transfer public speaking, um, debate, oratory into a career. I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. Um, I was honest enough about that. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, but I only wanted to be Perry Mason or something. <laughs> but how did you uh, come to Broadway theater, or off-Broadway theater? How did you get to New York theater? While I was in Chicago, uh, summer stock for me was the University of Chicago Court Theater and the productions of Greek drama and classic drama were done there. I was reviewed by uh, local newspapers, um, directors whom I had worked under at the Goodman Theater had since moved to New York. And a production of A Raisin in the Sun was going to be done in Syracuse, New York. By then, I had finished the Goodman, um, the Goodman training program, was afraid to leave home. All of my roots were in Chicago, but there was no theater there. There was only the University of Chicago Court Theater. And someone who had directed me and had reviewed me um, brought me from Chicago to Syracuse, New York, through her agent. Her name was Shawnee Perry. She is currently a director, teacher, writer, actor uh, here in New York. But that's how I got out of the city. I don't, if theater had existed, in Chicago, I don't think I would have left. Mm -hmm. I liked that environment. I liked being in a community where I had friendships, 
where I had family, uh, where I knew the neighborhoods, where I had grown up. I would not have come had there been theater, that, had there been the theater that now exists yeah, exactly. in Chicago. Chicago. Now, I would never have left. John, what about you? Witty. I, I went to a, a state teacher's college in Baltimore, Towson. It was, it's now Towson State University. It was Towson State Teacher's College. I, I was going to be the English teacher who taught drama and did the plays. Uh, the fact of which teaching terrified me to stand up in front of a classroom and do that. But uh, my, my mother comes from a place, Pulaski, Virginia, and about 60 miles down the road is Abingdon, Virginia, which was... Uh, and it still is, but at that point was Robert Porterfield's Barter Theater. And she called me right before the Easter vacation of my, uh, of my freshman year and said, they have these things called apprentices at this theater. Do you want to go do it? So I went for every uh, summer between my uh, college years and was an apprentice at the Barter Theater. And, um, and here you are. And Yeah, and I took the subway here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Helen, uh, tell us about the difference, the approach in Britain, uh, or is it different? How, what, it's what not different, really. It's the same thing, and, you know, it is this mysterious moment, and unfortunately, I think actually that moment is called luck. Um, it's, uh, it's really unfortunate, unfair, and I've seen it in my history of, of being an actor. People I've worked with in the past who are brilliant actors, brilliant, incredible actors who never get, you know, struggle all their lives playing a little part here, a little part there. They get a break there, but it doesn't work because, you know, it's that awful thing called luck. And other people who really are not so good, their careers just, you know, surge ahead. And it's, it's painful. It's a very painful thing. Luck is, um, is unfortunately to do with it. What was your and, luck? Um, what was the... Um, is there a moment or a, t or a No, actually, having said that, didn't really work out that way Sorry for me. Sorry about that, yes, yeah, but, um, <laughs> but it is, you know, well, of course, you know, that, that this production happened to have been by so, seen by so-and-so or, you know, it happened to be successful, whereas, you know, for, for whatever reason. Um, I be became an actress because when I was about six, I was asked to play the Virgin Mary at school, and I had this fabulous shawl that I still remember to this day, dark blue with little gold stars on it. And, um, and really, I thought, I love this. This is great. This is for me. And, and then the, the process, getting there, was, was long and fairly painful. My parents weren't particularly into it. They thought it was a very bad idea. I also trained as a teacher. It's interesting, three of us sitting here tra trained as teachers. Um, you didn't want to be a teacher like John was terrified of standing up in front of people, um, especially children. <laughs> I'm going to turn this over to <laughs> questions from our audience now. now. Oh. Would you step up, please, for the first question? Hi, my name is Margot Evan. I'm an actress, and I want to thank the whole member panel here today for this wonderful day. But this question is to Alan Campbell. You started in L.A. in Sunset. How different are New York audiences? I think they're, how to do this, <laughs> um, how to be a diplomat. I, I think they're more sophisticated. I mean, in Los Angeles, we were pretty much the only game in town. I mean, there's not a lot of big theater in Los Angeles. There's a lot of small theater people don't know, a ton of small theater, equity waiver, we call it. I guess that's maybe a bad term here amongst all these union members. But um, 
I think because it was about the industry, there was a little bit of like self-loving and self-loathing that went on because of our particular piece. Uh, audiences here tend to listen a little more. They tend to react a little less during the body of the piece. We, we almost can feel them listening here a bit more. And plus, you know, you have Phantom and Having Our Say and How to Succeed. You have all this available to you here. And in Los Angeles, the business is different. It's, it's you know, here theater is the end. In Los Angeles, it's the means to get on a TV show in, in the movies. That's how I, I view it. And so the, the competition here, uh, you know, you can throw a baseball and hit a great play when you're on 44th Street. Uh, and, and so I think people come and I think they sit like this a little bit, a little more, and kind of say, okay, let's see what you have. Whereas in L.A., it's, oh, it's about the movies. You know, it's a movie star going <laughs> close. And I think people were a little more... Um, uh, tittery here they're 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 a bit more refined and sophisticated about what you have to you have to get them you have to work hard for people here okay. uh, my name is John Francis Fox my question is for Helen Marin since you're now appearing in a period piece can you tell us the difference between acting in a period piece and acting in a contemporary play big difference no pockets <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it sounds like a joke, but actually it's very serious because it's awful not to have anywhere to put your hands. It's so great to have pockets. You look casual, you look relaxed, your hands are sweating, you can kind of do this in the pocket. Um, but, uh, it, uh, and so there's a, a different physicality, obviously, in a, in a period uh, play. I have to say this particular period play is incredibly modern. It could have been written today. It's not like... Um, I don't, I don't feel I'm doing a period piece doing it. Hi, my name is Kevin Duane, and my question is for John Glover. I was curious, what is part of the process you use to embody the role versus waiting for your lines or waiting for a cue? Uh, wait, I'm, I don't quite understand. I'm what is a part of the process that you do as an actor to bring yourself to the point where you're embodying the role and you're not just saying lines on stage and waiting for your cue? Do you understand? Oh. Oh. I mean, you don't have to go through that. You're ready to be on. I guess pretty much what you're Could I have another question, please? This is too hard. Come on, Well, you know, I've spent 30-some years trying to figure out how to embody these roles. Um, well, I think that's what he's asking, to bring that forth. Uh, oh, dear. <laughs> you sing beautiful dreams. Beautiful, I do. Well, I, oh, it's the thirty years that you that that you use. I just start the play. We we start our play with beautiful dreamer. I we go uh, sing it, and then the story starts unfolding, and and I listen, and uh, when somebody says something to me, I try to answer them or react as best I can. I'm using Terence McNally's words to do it, but what's the name of the play? Love, valor, compassion. Oh. <laughs> no, Anne. Um, my question is for uh, Mr. Leonard. Um, you said you've recently, or maybe not so recently, had a shift in the way you view your work. Now what do you want to accomplish as an actor and as an, an artist in your work? Hmm. Well, not so recently. I mean, I, that was when I saw that play, and, and mm -hmm. that, that was actually a while ago, but... Um, uh, but it's strange you ask it because I, it is, it's a strange time. Um, um, 
I would be lying if I said I knew. Uh, it, it is strange to find yourself in Tom Stoppard's new play on Broadway and to have produced a few plays with friends of yours that were successful and, and um, did well and, and to suddenly find you're, you're not, uh, that 10 years have gone by and you're not 16 anymore. And I have no idea. <laughs> I'm going to try to find some way to spend my life that's productive. <laughs> Mel Silverman with a follow-up question for Robert Sean Leonard. Oh, I've God. heard you talk about the company in which you produce plays. First of all, where, when do you find time to do that? And second, do you have any projects upcoming? It, it, it's not as tricky as it sounds because we, much like Alan said about the theater in L.A., we, at, up, up till this point, we have uh, produced plays um, uh, technically off contract, just as, as an equity work, uh, non-equity workshop. Therefore, no one gets paid. We all volunteer our time. It's a 99-seat house, and we can only do, I think, 16 performances. Um, so up till now, it's really just been plays that uh, myself and my friends thought were worth drawing people's attention to. If we go to another level and start producing commercially, I'm sure it'll be a much bigger deal. But up till now, it's really quite, it's that simple. It's just um, plays that, that we find exciting that we want to produce. And as we get older, we're starting to meet designers and directors that we like. And, um, and oh, it's called Malapart. And, and in the, we will be producing a play in the fall. We're not sure. Probably a play called Evolution by Jonathan Mark Sherman. But we're, uh, if, you, you know, if you can find Ethan Hawke, you're, you beat me. I, I don't know where he is <laughs> at the moment. I think he's in Seattle. But, so it's kind of hard to get everyone together. But we're, we're doing something this fall. We just don't know what yet. Uh, thanks. Thank you. I'm going to throw you a tech question that I think is, I hope, is easier than how do you develop a character. And I leave it up to you whether one of you wants to answer it or more than one of you wants to have a crack at it. But how do you keep a role fresh? when you're doing it night after night after night, week after week after week? How do you keep it alive? How do you keep it new? I'm just trying to think who's the longest, the person that's running the longest. Uh, maybe, maybe Alan, you are. Uh, I think we're up to about 160 Andrew. performances here and 253 in L.A., so we're about 400 or something. Having Glenn Close is a good, is a, is a, is a good way. I mean, I, I've said this a number of times when I Every night, sometimes, you know, you, you go to work, and, and I say work because I'm always thrilled to be there, but we bring moods on stage, and we bring our fatigue and what we ate and everything else, like any human being. And some nights I would rather be there than others. Um, uh, it's a lot of work. But there is a seminal moment every night when I say, used to be in pictures, you used to be big, and this woman turns to me and just nails me with this kind of presence that she has, and then I'm off. That's so, it. You know, I, so I, I think that, that, like John said, if you listen and, and you really try to make things a conversation and you don't And it's real it to words, you. It might be make-believe out there, real, but it's real and, to and you. And when you work with wonderful people, which, which I do and I think we all do, professionals, people that really give themselves over to, to the writers and, and the artists that make up the piece. Um, it, it's not quite as hard sometimes as, 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 uh, uh, as we, we might think it, it is sometimes. You know, I, I, I look at her and she connects and then, and then I'm off and then suddenly I, two and a half hours later I go, wow, 
you know, that was something. I think what's come through with um, this wonderful panel is that majority of you have crossed over from one medium to another, from and, and the excitement and the love of live theater is so apparent in each one of you. And uh, I think that's what theater is, that it's live and, it, and it's for everyone to enjoy and to share. And as far as I'm concerned, the American Theater Week, there is only live theater. And I'm so pleased that it's here in New York and that we can call upon people like you. I, I, your talents and your knowledge and your ability to share with us is just enormous. And I'm very grateful to you. And I'm sorry that we have to bring this to a close. I'm Isabel Stevenson. I'm president of the American Theater Wing. And this is just one more of the American Theater Wing's programs year-round that we bring to the community of New York that, that we service, and we service them with theater. Thank you very much for being here at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. <laughs>